listen to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Laura Knetzker. Uh, Laura's work you'll be familiar with through uh, Sea Urchin from Retrofit, as well as Bug Boys uh, from Chat Books. And uh, I, I was mentioning to Laura before we started uh, that you'd recently done some Adventure Time episodes, which aired with one of them aired within the last week. Um, but I'm like horrible at keeping up on Adventure <laughs> Time, because there's always, like, so many episodes, uh, as well as you have a whole plethora of mini-comics um, and short comics on your website, uh, which folks can check out once we're done talking, because it would be rude to read while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> I've never said that before, but I'm going to stand by it now. Um, thanks, Laura, for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, now, I was mentioning to Laura, I didn't realize until setting this up, that you're in Seattle. Um, but you went to to the SVA, right? I did. I lived in New York for about 
seven years. I went to SVA for four years until I graduated, and then I lived in Brooklyn for three more years, and then I came back to Seattle about two years ago. When you are growing up in Seattle, um, were you familiar with, like, what Seattle had to offer as far as the comic scene goes? Like, did you have Um, much knowledge of what was coming out from there? Yeah, I knew, I knew about Fanagraphics, and, um, there's also a, like, a fine arts school in Seattle called Gage Academy of Art that has some connection to Jim Woodring, so I saw him speak there a few times. Um, I was kind of generally aware of some cartoonists that lived here that I really looked up to, but I never really uh, made an effort to reach out to them. Yeah, <laughs> I just admired from afar <laughs> as a teenager. <laughs> what kind of stuff were you into and looking at before you made the trip east? Um, well, I was definitely a manga teen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't. I didn't dislike any comics really. I would just get whatever was at the library and read it. I've heard they have pretty good comic selections in the Seattle library system. Yeah. I Whoever is the librarian there really is smart. <laughs> uh, so what was the choice of going um, to the SVA to do comics like? Was there um, a point where you feel like this is what I want to do and this is what I want to learn? Oh, yeah, I definitely really wanted to be a cartoonist ever since I was a little kid. And SVA was one of the few art schools that had a an actual, like, comics major. Mm-hmm. And I refused to compromise and study something else. <laughs> uh, going into the SVA uh, and during your time there, how did you find kind of your approach to comics changing while kind of going through Um, this big school? It changed a lot. I think at first I was mostly just trying very hard to please my teachers and thinking like if I, you know, check off all the boxes that they give me for each assignment, then maybe somehow I will become a professional yeah. And then after my third year, I had a fairly big disillusionment with that type of thinking. And I started drawing bug boys in this time. And that's when I kind of formed my current thoughts about comics and how to make them and how to live making them. But it's really hard to explain. <laughs> well, it's one of the really fascinating things I find about your comics because you don't have any kind of like atypical example of your work. Um, <laughs> I guess so. And, and I mean that in like the most complimentary way. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's interesting because like you're you're not settling in a different a particular style. Um, and you're not kind of routing in just like one kind of genre or uh, narrative decision, and I, and I find that really fascinating. So I'm interesting, interested, kind of like where that's coming from within that experience, and I guess that disillusionment you kind of had from 
the the standardized expectations? Um, well, it was never really my intention to like only work in one genre. I knew I wanted to make fiction, mm-hmm. but I didn't I didn't have my heart set on it being like fantasy or science fiction or anything like that. I knew I wanted to allow myself to experiment. Um, yeah, every time I make a short comic, I'm always like, oh, I've got a great idea. This time I'll really show them. It's not going to be like the others. And then when I finish, I'm like, I did it again. <laughs> this is definitely by me. Were there any particular instructors that you remember that um, kind of pushed you in a direction or kind of helped bring certain things to light in your work that kind of helped um, veer off this like expectation of this is what I need to make? I had a class senior year with David Mazzucchelli, and he was my favorite professor at SVA by far. Um, but it was like each class with him, he would be saying things that I had felt, but I hadn't been able to say, I hadn't been able to like put into words. Um, I'm not sure he really pushed me in any particular direction, probably because I was too stubborn (laughs) to listen to him. (laughs) So were the things he was saying, like, about your work in particular? No, he would just say things about comics in general and, like, flow and, uh, like, clarity of action. And it would be something that I had just been thinking about, like, trying to solve on a Bug Boys page. Mm-hmm. And so each class I would be like, nodding my head and like crying and like trying not to let anyone see I was crying because I was just having such a great time and he would be saying something like you don't read a comic you listen to it <laughs> it would be like yeah <laughs> um but then when critique time came I would totally be a little shit and dig in my heels <laughs> yeah um what were some of the things that you were especially stubborn about at that point and like kind of really passionate about with your work? I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just remember being like so upset about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And now I can't even remember what it was. <laughs> um, one of the things I'm really interested in is like you're talking about how you grew up, you're really into manga. And, I mean, that, that's definitely a factor uh, in Bug Boys. Um, and I'm interested if, like, you went through a period of, like, okay, I can't do this type of stuff, and then kind of coming back into it, you're like, you know what, I like this, and I'm doing this. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's just a period of time where I thought, like, if I like something, then that must mean it's, like, childish and lowbrow and I need to be a sophisticated adult and make adult comics about very serious situations and then I mean you kind of can't do that forever because you'll lose your mind and when I started drawing bug boys and I started 
when I gave myself the constraints that it would be a comic for kids and it would be fun and light and be about having like the feeling of a sunny afternoon. Like I actually felt like a much freer after I gave myself that assignment Mm -hmm. than before. I wonder if there, there's like a kind of catharsis with bug boys uh, or because you just allow yourself to be free with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I decided pretty early on that bug boys would always just be my thing and I wouldn't, I wouldn't like let anyone else tell me what to do with it, even if it meant the comic was bad. <laughs> now, do you still continue doing it? Because uh, you have like uh, the the big book from Chap, which is yeah quite a lot of stuff in that. Yeah, I'm still doing it. I'm working on issue 15 right now. Okay. And I wanted to have it done by Cake, but I don't think it'll be done by then. And Cake, that's in June, right? Yeah, that's in about six weeks. Okay. And I have a lot of work to do on it, so <laughs> it's not going to be done. Um, I think, when I think about your work, uh, I was saying earlier uh, about, like, it, it takes on a lot of different forms. And I'm kind of curious about how that developed when, um, like, you have the Bug Boys work, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of work there. But then you have uh, different types of work that kind of comes out, and, and I'm really interested in that development about how you kind of find these different voices within your comics. Um, I think there are certain stories that I feel like aren't going to be bug boy stories, or it's hard to explain because, like, what bug boys is has changed a million times since I started it. And I initially thought like it would never be, you know, too heavy or sad, but I've drawn several issues that are explicitly about depression and I have planned several more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess there are just some stories that I, I, I don't think I could have the bugs do it. Or I'll get an idea in my head, like, I want to draw something in a sci-fi setting, or I I lost my train of thought, sorry. <laughs> Just about how different work kind of comes, comes out, and kind of, I guess, I'm trying to think of the right word to say, um, just kind of its place within what you do, and um does that make sense am i going no, to abstract sense. i just i don't have a good answer it's okay. i just uh i don't know i'll just get an idea for a story and it i know its tone will be so wildly different i have to make it something wildly different so mm-hmm. it doesn't get confused with stuff that a kid could read one of the things you you've mentioned when I was going through kind of your site and your stuff is how you do your dream comics explicitly different and within a specific style. Oh yeah. I haven't done one of those in a really long time. Um, I started doing those 
at the same time, I started doing Bug Boys. Okay. And it was, uh, it was like this one summer. I, I just had like a, a crazy vivid dream every single night. And I would wake up and I would draw the dream the next day. And I tried to keep it going, but eventually I just wasn't having those good dreams anymore. Uh, I think it was because I was taking this supplement my mom was giving me. But then I stopped taking the supplement. <laughs> and you're just out of the groove. Yeah, and now I, I can't get back into it. Um, yeah, I always wanted those to have a very specific look and a very specific rhythm to them just so I just so I had that constraint to go back to like I wouldn't you know when it when I wanted to draw one I wouldn't be starting from zero I would know like okay it's going to be in watercolor and uh, it has to start with a sentence explaining what's going on and the sentence has to start with the phrase in the dream and from that I could just easily start drawing I wouldn't be fussing about how to phrase it or fussing mm -hmm. about what materials to use or what size to draw it at. One of the things, like, when I was reading stuff, I was like, oh, God, dream comics. Because uh, they, they can kind of drive me nuts because people could just kind of fall into it and it could just go on and on. Yeah. And, and I found it interesting because your work didn't do that. It's like, okay, here's a dream, here's a dream. And it was like a one page, here's the ideas. Um and we're not getting caught in like this like made up surreal fantasy land that I find sometimes dream comics can be where it's like that probably not your dream, but you know it makes a good comic. Yeah. I think the important part for me is not like the details of what happened. It's the feeling that I had in the dream, like a feeling of overwhelming dread or uh a feeling of being lost somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, it it works in the format you do. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, like I said, like it's really interesting just how you really capture stuff within that, and it works nicely and succinctly. Um, so, yay. oh, thank you, Robin. <laughs> um, now some of your different minis. Um, one I was really interested in is uh, tidal pools, um, which I guess kind of goes with sea urchins. I don't know which one came out first. I guess Sea Urchin uh, came out first. Yeah, Sea Urchin came out first, and then I made Tide Pool. Uh, I think about a year later, and it's kind of supposed to be like a follow up, but uh, it's not like exactly like a sequel of like, well, here's everything neatly tied up in a bow. It's kind of like a coda. Yeah, it's just like I just wanted to. I just felt like I had to like visit that again and not like end it because it's autobio. There's no end to that, but just to like maybe settle it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the things I find really interesting with your autobio work is it's not dependent on a story climax or like a narrative 
through it like where other where, where a lot of time with autobio stories there's you know a specific story of a person's point in time mm-hmm. and how you know they get from point a point b point c and then you have it wrapped up in a bow where with your work it, it's very this is just what was going on at that point or this is just that point that jumped out of my head yeah i'm I think when it comes to autobio stuff, I'm much more interested in communicating either a specific feeling or a specific feeling I had over a certain time in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not really interested in like uh, explaining all the details of my life in accordance to one subject. I think that would be really boring and... I don't really want to open myself up to the scrutiny that that would invite. Because <laughs> I feel like once I give like some context, then I have to be like, oh, and here's the rest of that context. And then I've wasted like 10 pages explaining. It, it's such a careful balance of like being open um, with autobio work, but also not being like a book that people could read. Like, yeah. a personal, like, and I mean on a, that's such a weird way of phrasing it, but I mean, like, just, like, pouring yourself out raw that everyone knows everything about you, but, like, uh, and I think this is something maybe, like, Leslie Stein does really well, too, where you're, you're, you're really spe- focusing on the specifics and not caught up in the the overarching. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh... How did your kind of methodology... Um, come through with the autobio stuff uh kind of in conjunction while working on bug boys and kind of taking yourself in this different direction um i'm not sure i feel like they're they're definitely connected Mm -hmm. and i feel like there's some things that i think the first autobio comics i was making there would always be this like layer of fantasy to them mm-hmm. where it would I would I would and I would try to have like a punchline at the end uh and this this would just be like something really short I would make and then I would put it on the internet um I don't know how did it develop <laughs> what a great question <laughs> It just magically appeared. No, no. Oh. I think uh, I was like, so in my last year or so of living in New York, I was getting really depressed and really upset. And I was making more and more, more and more autobiocomics and putting them on the internet because that would make me feel better, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, actually kind of a scary thing and I was starting to get scared of how much I needed it and then uh, Box Brown asked me to do a book for Retrofit and I asked if I could do uh, fiction a short comic and he was like no no I want it autobile <laughs> so that's how I made Sea Urchin <laughs> From what I understand, just because I, I, you wrote up a, a kind of an explanation of the book, um, and we don't have to like regurgitate that too much. Uh, kind of maybe take that 
talk a little bit about that, but also like okay. kind of expand upon parts of that. I'm interested in, especially because um, you had a lot of trepidation of doing an autobio book from what I can understand from that. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I think I was, I don't know, I was going through a phase where I was like kind of embarrassed about it because it was so personal but then you know, I would never read another cartoonist autobio book and be like what a stupid brat, this person is so spoiled, but I would imagine someone reading Sea Urchin and saying that about me. Mm-hmm. So I, even before the book was done, I was constantly like trying to figure out how I came across in it. Um, I don't know. And I feel like autobio stuff is a little, I think it's like a little more complicated for women or it gets kind of like, gendered as female sometimes and this is I don't know it requires painting with a pretty broad brush but I feel like a lot of women's autobio stuff gets marketed as like an intimate diary written in gel pen and it's like this sweet little thing and then like men's autobio is like a sexual conquest. Yeah, it's either like sexual conquest or it's like journalism about the truth of the human condition. Yeah. <laughs> How could it be? <laughs> and it, I, and there's also what one part I think about is um, the reader sometimes with with women's autobio where you may have men male readers. Um, having a different approach to reading that worked as they would with a male's work where it's like, I know who you are now and I know all this stuff about you. Oh yeah. I haven't had that happen quite yet to me, but I'm sure it does. <laughs> as... I, have, I have no doubt someone out there is like, I've got her figured all out. <laughs> <laughs> Has that been a concern? Um, uh, I'd say I was mostly concerned about the privacy of people around me mm-hmm. when I would make autobiocomics. Uh, like I noticed when I reread Searchin now, I at in the first drafts I was interacting with different friends during the comics, and then gradually I edited all of those out and replaced them with comics where I was just talking to myself. Mm-hmm. So if you read Searchin, I really I only talk to like two other people in it in the whole book. And one of them is my boss. <laughs> <laughs> um as you're putting the book together, like you you use a bunch of different styles. Uh and I'm interested in kind of the different styles play different roles in what you want to tell. Uh, is um, that a factor? Yeah. Yeah, so the way I made Seer Chin, the very, very first draft was like one long stream of consciousness as I went through a day of my life. Mm-hmm. And then when I started thumbnailing it, I was like, this is way too heavy. It's too much of a slog. It's uh, 
I I want there to be like something that breaks up this monotonous tirade. <laughs> so I started making I like chopped it up. I kept all the bits I liked and made a bunch of short comics to fill in the the, monotony. the other pages. Yeah, and kind of to like give it a flow that wasn't um the flow of my average day. Um, one of the things you've talked about, and again, we don't have to go into specific details, um, is like that was a, a difficult, a particularly difficult time um, for you and your work. And tide pools kind of, I was just saying earlier, it's kind of like the the afterward on that. And I'm curious about finding work to kind of step away because uh, certain things kind of stick can kind of stick with you and finding a way to kind of get past that. Um, I mean, I think it, it was mostly a matter of time mm-hmm. in this case. I needed to have time to have um, perspective on what was happening and I needed to have time to heal from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, even Tidepool is still drawn in the middle of still thinking about it and still healing from it. Mm-hmm. So it's still a little confused. And even if I could put it into crystal clear words, I'm, I think having a comic that's a little fuzzier would make a better comic. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that's kind of why I wanted to jump in into tide pools, because uh, there's something I really like that you did in that, um, which was really interesting. Is you do a panel where you draw your brain or your head with like the top off, with like different kind of weird. I think it was like sea creatures in your head, and it kind of made me think about like how you kind of approach your work and just like the different comics kind of take different facets of your personality or different parts of who you are. I don't know if that's like what was intended there or what I was getting from that, but I was really interested in kind of how that kind of idea developed within that kind of drawing. Um, I think the idea behind that drawing was that, so for the, the metaphor of sea urchin was that I felt like my brain had an intruder in it, mm-hmm. the sea urchin as the metaphor for depression. But then I realized later that is not entirely a true metaphor because if that was true, I could, you know, excise the intruder and then I would go back to being healthy. Yeah. But that isn't true. It's more like the whole, the, the whole thing had to be examined and figured out which, what part's broken, what part's not, how do you heal it? Um, so I was thinking like a tide pool is being this very, it's like a very delicate ecosystem and there's a million things going on and they're all microscopic and you have to study them for years to understand it. (laughs) And also they're, uh, mercurial, they change every day. Um, and also they're like swampy and gross. (laughs) (laughs) 
but also weirdly beautiful. Yeah. So that's where I was going with that metaphor. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think all my different work, it is. I guess it's kind of like an ecosystem where if I make a breakthrough with Bug Boys, then that will give me that will give me the strength to like try something else that's more experimental or some other project that I don't have as much confidence in. I can be given power by something else mm-hmm. or, you know, one of them will just take over everything and I'll ignore all the rest. Uh, one of the other minis that I read, the, I think it was the flowering vine. Um, where you, I was really interested in, because the story was in blue and green, and you kind of play with the color there of, it kind of gets really messy at one point, where the registration's off. Oh, yeah. And, I, uh-huh. and I'm interested in that kind of, that purposeful choice there of doing that with the colors, of kind of playing with that to make things something like a little more difficult to read. Uh, yeah, I was really excited to make Flowering Vine because I was really excited to make something on a resale. Um, I didn't do the printing myself, mm-hmm. which I'm glad because now I know how hard it is. <laughs> um, but doing doing it with the with the two colors, you kind of approached it differently then than your regular stuff of like how to play with those colors. Yeah. I was really excited to do some, some playfulness there. Uh, God, I made that comic so long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Was that while you were still in New York or was that? Yeah, that was, that was pretty soon after I graduated. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. What were some of your more recent works that you've done um, uh, since being in Seattle? Since being in Seattle, I well, at first I moved back because I had to finish the well for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I wanted to do was just move somewhere, quit my job, and then spend all day working on the Bug Boys uh, collection. Mm-hmm. Um. So I finished doing all the like formatting and stuff for that and designed the book with Kevin. And then I made a few minis like Tide Pool and Cosmic Chess. And then I made um, Bug Boys 13 and 14. And I'm working on 15 right now. I haven't been drawing as much as I want to. <laughs> Because I got a job. <laughs> the other thing is you, you've been working on Adventure Time. Oh, uh, yeah. that. How many um, episodes did you storyboard? So I only storyboarded three episodes, and they're always split in half with another storyboard artist. So I did half of three separate episodes. <laughs> one and a half episodes. <laughs> um, That's kind of how it goes with that show for most of the Yeah, part. I... 
And I did that for about six months last year. Um, I think it was a good experience. It, it was very far out of my comfort zone. Did you go down to Burbank at all, or was it all um, remote? So all the work was remote. I did go down to Burbank because I went to Cala. Oh, okay. In 2015. And so uh, I just asked to have a tour one day with some of the people I was working with. So that was really fun. We spent all day there. <laughs> and you worked with uh, with M. Partridge and Wolfhard. And who, did you work with another person too? Or uh, The last episode I co-storyboarded with uh, Graham Falk. Okay. He's very funny. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, th- it's a pretty neat group of creative folks, and I can imagine there's a lot to come off of working with with those folks and collaborating because they're also very different. M and Steve, especially. Yeah. I mean, they're both kind of introverted, but also, I don't know, fascinating. Yeah, I wish. I wish I. I realize now I wish I had the chance to have worked in the same room with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because just doing it over email, you know, I could ask them whatever questions I wanted, but I think I was a little too shy. Um, also, just in general, I wanted to pick their brains about comics and art, but I felt like that wasn't the time because we were suddenly on deadline. <laughs> So had you done any animation before? Uh, no, I, so, um, towards the end of 2015, I was, I finished the Bug Boys book and I was starting to look for work. And so one of the storyboard artists there, Tom Herpick, mm-hmm. who's been at Adventure Time for forever, I think, he sent me an email saying how much he liked bug boys once. So I had his email address. So I asked him if they ever did, uh, if they ever did background art remote and if I could like test for that. And he said, no, we've got the background art covered, but you should take the storyboard test. Nice. So I did. Uh, and that was the first time I had ever done any, well, storyboarding for animation. I had done a storyboard for, a student film before but, but that's a pretty different beast yeah i mean love adventure time but it is like you're working within a a business system with yeah. like models you have to follow yeah and yeah storyline you know you gotta make sure you're drawing the right sword yeah and also a uh, storyboarding for film it's like you're basically making like a very nice suggestion but there are so many constraints when you're actually on set that they're probably not really going to follow it. Yeah. Whereas storyboarding for animation, you have to make, like you're making the document that they're going to animate from. So it has to be perfect. Yeah. And I think like Adventure Time, especially, there's a lot of like, it's really heavily based on on the storyboards. You guys get a lot of power, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Do you have any interest in doing more animation stuff, or um, is it 
because I know a lot of people can find it like takes away all your creativity working. On yeah, I like think that. it was. I mean, the deadlines were just so tight that I would work on it all day, and there would be no time for drawing comics. Yeah. So I think that's why I started looking for a like a local non-drawing day job, and then I got one. <laughs> and then Adventure Time was uh, ended. <laughs> and now I'm like, oops. Well, you live in the Pacific Northwest, so there's lots of animation companies up. I don't know what it's like in Seattle, but Vancouver, uh, we're lousy with them. Wow. I don't know any animation companies here. I know there's game companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, like, I can't even think of how many studios are up here. <laughs> There's a lot, at least like five or six big animation studios. Um, it's like a wet version of Burbank, maybe. <laughs> maybe Burbank. Yeah. Um, so you're going to be at Cake uh, next month. Um, I'll probably be posting this in a couple weeks. And then okay. you say you're going to be at SPX. Yeah. And Short Run in the fall. I don't even know when Short Run is this year. And I'm hoping to go to Cala, too. And that's in okay. December, isn't it? Yeah, that's always in December. Um, so, reminder, folks, I've been talking to Laura Knetzker, and uh, the latest book is Sea Urchin and Bug Boys, uh, which you can get from Retrofit and Chap Books, respectively, uh, as well as you can check out Laura's website. Thank you so much, Laura, for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me.
That cloud looks just like the tree at the bottom of our garden. That cloud looks like a little That cloud looks like Cobulus Castellus. That cloud is nothing but trouble. This cloud looks like oh, one of those things. That cloud looks like one of those brown shiny things. That cloud looks like snow. No, it doesn't. This cloud looks like rain. Industrial waste. 